The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It's a pleasure to have you here this week, but I would be lying if I said that I was filled with pleasure and happiness at the moment. I am still reeling from my University of Miami Hurricanes getting mollywopped in the Final Four and uh, it, I wanted our team to be good at the basketball, and we were out basketballed by the other basketball team. And so now I am sad about basketball, except I got to watch Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese play the game the way it was meant to be played. Man, that women's final was fantastic. So that put me in a slightly better mood. And speaking of things that put me in a good mood, Elisa Rockdock joining us. Hello, Elisa Rockdock. <laughs> What a person has, <laughs> what one might describe that for the radio audience, she's Angel <laughs> Reese pointing to her ring finger. In a lot of ways, she is the, the Caitlin Clark slash Angel Reese of voiceover nope. artistry, nope. social nope. media nope. management, community Not management. Not at all. For sure. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well. You Not are it. You you are you are uh, all of that in in my eyes, Elisa. I want to I want to just show you something real quick. I got to stop the show cold here for a second because oh, I got to oh. show you something that's very very important, Gosh. and we got to stop everything to show you this. Nothing's more annoying than the parents that just are obsessed with showing you pictures of their baby. And ah. so in that regard, I'm gonna just hold this right up in front it's of the looking, camera right there. Oh, Look at that business boy. Useless. Useless for the radio audience, but I'm holding up a picture just right from my phone of my magnificent now nine month old baby boy Nathan, who's wearing himself a nice little business suit, huh? Oh my god, he looks like Jim Nance. He does. <laughs> to call the master. <laughs> he's he's right there on Amen like Corner. <laughs> it it is a tr a tradition oh unlike any other. Annoying dads making you look at pictures of their babies. Do you know who so serious? That is the most serious child I've ever seen. He he has that smoldering look about him. Getting a smile out of him is a rare feat, although when the smile comes, it is delightful. But yeah, he's very serious all the time. <laughs> Wearing a suit jacket. Well, do you know who got him that suit jacket? Our guest this week, Ariel Hyatt, who's gonna be joining us. Aww. So there. There was a method to bringing up that particular baby picture. Um, I can't wait for her to see it because I know she probably wants to see how he looks in that fabulous piece so of clothing. Ariel Hyatt, for those of you who don't know, one of our favorite people around here at Break the Business, has been a frequent guest on the program and a true friend of the indie creator. She started Cyber PR, I think like 25, 27 years ago, long time ago, and has been serving indie artists as a publicist, as an artist development expert, as an author, as a presenter ever since. And one of the things that I admire most about her, Elisa, and I think we're going to talk to Ariel about this when we have her on, is... It would be so easy for somebody in her line of work who's been doing it for 27 years to just be like, I've been doing it this way since before you were born. I ain't changing. Uh huh. And for her, it's just the opposite. I have never met a music industry professional who is able to change with the times quite like she does. When the industry went digital, she went digital. No more sending out literal press kits in envelopes uh, to journalists. When, uh, when, when music went digital, when when NFT started, when uh, you know all these, she rolled with it, and now even even today, in the with the rise of AI, you would not blame somebody who's been in this for th for that long to be like AI. I ain't touching it, not mm -hmm. interested. But no, she dove into it head first, learned this stuff upside down and backwards, and is now one of the foremost experts on AI for independent creators. She's actually hosting a course right now called the AI Music Marketing Course that she's hosting with music executive Eileen Crowley. 
and it's it's really informative. You can check out the, ep- the, the classes that are already done. You can check them out on demand, and you can get in on the live ones now. So we're going to talk to her all about that course, but most importantly, we're going to talk to her about just getting some advice, because I'll confess, Elisa, this is something that I want to bring more into my work as a you know entertainment person, and I, what I want to bring more artists into the, that work as entertainers. But right now, as far as we are getting with AI around here, is we're having it give tips of the week with movie quotes. <laughs> Yes. And I know we can do more with this because I've seen what people are doing with AI and it's really exciting. Yeah, it's 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 a little scary dealing with it with the students at the moment. <laughs> yes, for um, teachers like you and me, it is kind of a nightmare. Just a just a hair, just a tad. <laughs> um, it it is it is definitely um, an interesting moment in time that we have something that. I don't know what technology other than maybe like the Boston Dynamics robots has <laughs> left people with this sense of like this is a giant fork in the road for human society and human progress here with with yeah. with the AI situation. Um I'm very excited to see where it goes. Um and I am uh, making sure to say all of my pleases and thank yous to my Siri just in case. Yeah. Just so I can be on the nice list. It's interesting that you bring up the Boston Dynamics robot as an example of this, because I get similar feelings when I see the Boston Dynamics robots at work than when I see AI. Because whenever I see one of these YouTube videos of the Boston Dynamics robot and you see some like punk MIT grad scientist like pushing the robot and like trying to knock it over. (laughs) My first thought is always when the revolution comes like that thing's going to be pissed and it's going to look for the person who did that. And Bad the revolution's God. going to come because we were pushing the robots. And so I think of ChatGPT and I'm like, all the stupid prompts we're feeding this thing, you know, hey, write me a song, but, you know, write it like Oscar the Grouch, you know, doing a Shakespearean sonnet. We're going to drive these things mad and they're going to kill all of us when the revolution comes. Like, I'm with you. We got to be nicer to these things now before they take over. Just in case. Just in case. It probably does not help matters that we use AI to give us music industry tips with movie quotes. Lauren, (laughs) let's go ahead and start up the AI Overlords Tip of the Week. Keeping the movie quote theme going, Elisa... And what we did with, I remember what we did with you last month when we had you on is we used, we took the AI overlord, we had the AI overlord give us a tip using a quote from one of your favorite slash least favorite movies, The Room. <laughs> and so I want to stay in that same theme of movies that I know you love. Oh boy. And I think you actually introduced me to this movie many moons ago. Uh, I have, we're going to have the AI overlord give us our tip of the week using three quotes from the 1985 murder mystery classic. Clue. Oh, fabulous. Now, this is going to be I, amusing. Can I, can I make like a prediction? Can I, oh, can I say like a hope oh, in there? Oh, like what quotes it's going to use? Yeah, go I, ahead. What, what, what quotes? I hope that it is, um, this is War Peacock. You can't this is War Peacock. All right. Just writing these down. Like, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Every cook will tell you that. I hope that that <laughs> is, is the tip. I hope that's the tip. So those are the two you want. You want this is more peacock, and you want to can't make it on without break. We'll see what we're gonna do. So here's what I want to do with it. And by the way, this is gonna be amusing to only you and me because most of our Gen Z listeners are like, what the hell is Clue? Yeah. I think the Gen Zers would like this movie. I feel like if there was a movie that was due for like a Gen Z picking the thread back up on it on TikTok, it's oh. Clue. Yeah, I mean, okay, so y'all know Glass Onion. Yeah, Glass like, Onion's mommy. Yeah, like, like Clue walked. Clue glass walked onion. so gra- Glass Onion can run. Yes, and yes. and the Gen Zers they love things that are quotable because they want to lip sync the audio on TikTok. Clue is filled with those kind of lines. You could do a lot of stuff oh, yeah. with TikTok with with Clue and TikTok. So what I've done, Elisa, is I've sprinkled in three quotes from Clue into the AI Overlord Tip of the Week to try to amuse you three separate times. And again, no one else who's seen this movie will have no idea what's going on, but this is just to amuse you. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm Here's waiting our to tip. Be amused. Here's our tip of the week. 
Today, we're talking about the importance of balancing competition and collaboration in the indie world while staying focused on your actual goals. As you navigate this journey, you might occasionally feel like this is war, Peacock, with creators vying for attention and recognition. At the same time, you might hear the call of fellow creators asking, let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out, (laughs) seeking collaboration and support. Amidst all of this, it's essential to remember not to get distracted by issues that don't contribute to your creative growth. Like the famous quote says, communism was just a red herring. Oh my God. There can be distractions <laughs> that draw you away from your primary objectives. Keep your focus on what truly matters, honing your skills, creating quality content, and nurturing meaningful connections. Engage with your peers, attend networking events, and join online communities to meet like-minded individuals. Offer your support to others and be open to receiving help when needed. In doing so, you'll create a positive environment where creators can thrive together. So be sure to remind yourself of the importance of collaboration and the need to stay focused on what truly matters for your creative growth. By balancing these aspects, you'll not only grow as an individual creator, but also contribute to the overall success and strength of the indie community. Now, silly clue quotes aside, Elisa, one of the things I've loved about some of the areas of arts where you've worked in and excelled in, like uh, voiceover work and cosplaying and things like that, is those tend to be industries where you see fellow creators be quite collaborative, right? You, uh, Especially in the voiceover community, like you all are always hyping each other up and praising each other's work. It's not, oh, I'm auditioning against that person. I hate them. And, and I would imagine that collaboration makes all of you better creators. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, definitely there's, there's a lot of like, just on the surface of just like putting good positive energy out there. And this person that you might see as competition might be the person that is literally acting opposite of you could be at any point in time, uh, be in the same room sometimes, voice actors are also casting directors um so it's it's a very relatively as as many of us as there are out there and so many people wanting to get into it especially you know over the last like five to ten years um it's still a relatively small pond um and pretty tight-knit and and usually between I think I think it's something about creative industries whether it's like voiceover work or being a musician or something there are those stories that kind of bond you and those like human experiences in the booth working with casting directors auditioning like those like in the trenches kind of stories that you have to see somebody not as competition but as like an ally in the same fight against you know i don't know like (laughs) vague casting direction and everything else we have to manage um so it's 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 not so much competition so much as like we we are all uh, brothers and sisters and siblings in struggle <laughs> as creators. And and what do you say to the AI overlords' advice about uh, not only being open to collaboration but be active about showing others that you're willing to help them because that sort of thing can come back to you in exchange later. Absolutely. Um, there are I've I'm getting people reaching out to me. Um, because I think I've sort of like put out the musing of, and I'm not even sure if I actually put out this musing or if maybe I like psychically did it and somebody telepathically found it. Um, but collaborating on things like making education more accessible by having slides and having academic articles like narrated um, instead of it just being like text-based education. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I have I have the skills to be able to do that. Um, putting yourself out there, you have no idea what folks you might run into um, and what connections you might be able to make if if you express um, even like, man, I would love to. I have this great song idea. I'm a vocalist. I'm a songwriter. But hey, maybe I can't like accompany myself that well. Be be the person that that can show up and be like, hey, you know what? I have some bandwidth to spare. I would love to be able to collaborate with other people. It stretches your ear out so much. It stretches your creative mind to see the way someone else's brain works within the same industry. It's very invaluable. And we always hear stories time and time again of 
when one like, you know, in the comedy space where some comedian gets some huge opportunity, whether it's, you know, being headlining on a show or getting like a sitcom deal or some kind of holding deal or something like that. And where do where does that person go first when they need people to collaborate on the project? Oh, it's all the people that are in my, you know, Upright Citizens Brigade uh, group with me yep. or these people that I've collaborated with in the past on the projects on projects. And I know I can count on them like, oh, every time I've needed something, Elisa Rock Doc has always been there for me. So she's my first call for something like this. Need a co-host for your podcast, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and how lucrative has that been? It's um, one of the things that we. <laughs> That we love about having you here, Lisa, is we've we've kind of built you've kind of built this following around this community of people that are increasingly interested in watching <laughs> you continue to move forward in the world of VO and in the other creative pursuits that you're in. And so we do this like monthly keeping tabs on you to see how things are going. Can you give us a little career update? Sure. Uh, well, I, I I think it's almost like part of the running gag now to make sure that I have something just completely different than what I said last month. Um, right. Just to, just to keep y'all on your toes. Um, it, it's 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 not so much me, you know, being like a, a multi passionate, multi creative person um, who feels like she can't pigeonhole herself um, because that 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 would mean death. I'm 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 throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> is what this is no no one knows what they're doing um and um up to and including um in december um this is sort of when it started i got reached um uh, someone reached out through my agent um for me to narrate a couple of young adult fiction audiobooks um yay yay um i already have i i should have I took a nap and I, and I didn't have time to do this, but on my Instagram, if you go to at Elisa rock doc on Instagram, um, you'll actually see earlier today, I visited Barnes and Noble and I saw like the first, uh, kind of major book that I narrated was on the shelves. And that was kind of like a very like surreal moment to be like, ah, I read that into a microphone. Hello. <laughs> um, yes, you could, you, you could buy it on hardcover. You could buy it on paperback, but I have it on very good authority that the audiobook version is very, very good. Um, and so I have two more of those in the hopper. The first audiobook experience was in a studio via Zoom. There were a couple of engineers and producers. This time it was, here's a PDF and here's a pronunciation guide they're they're due in three weeks have wow. fun um so this was a really awesome process of me discovering like literally what my process is for recording an audiobook i had to figure that out on the fly and produce something um that that hopefully uh they like and hopefully resonates with the author which is also like something that i didn't even sort of realize until i was doing it i was like man i hope that the author is listening to this and isn't like well, that wasn't the exact voice I had for that character in my head, but we'll <laughs> we'll go with it. Okay. Like, like I, I want to do these characters in these worlds um, justice. Uh, the coolest thing is that these are both first-person narratives um, uh, written from the perspective of uh, Latina, uh, Latine protagonists. Um, and so one of them is a writer that um, is going into a summer writing program and does some collaborative writing with an anonymous author who starts collaborating on her story with her and she doesn't know who it is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that kind of like, you know, kind of cool like romance plot. Um, and then the other one is a really awesome high school teen revenge story. <laughs> um, that is that both protagonists very near and dear to my heart um, didn't realize how much I would find myself like identifying with these people um, as, as I was reading this book. But these are you know, all, all stories and all experiences that like, I, I wish I could have had when I was a teenager. Um, and I wish that I could be reading these, these women with, you know, mothers that sound like my mother and grandparents that sound like my grandparents. Um, um, these also, uh, both of these books, I'm proud to say also feature, um, parents apologizing. So if you're into that, <laughs> 
<laughs> if you want a little bit of that in your life, um, you could. Well, that's <laughs> you I mean, that's the new <laughs> millennial fantasy in art these days, right? Like I told you, these were these were fictional. Like books. <laughs> now that now that millennials are becoming old enough to write stuff, we're making movies like Encanto and Everything Everywhere All at Once, yes. where the parents apologize because we grew up with none of our parents apologizing for anything. <laughs> Yeah, but these these books are awesome. I I found myself moved by both of them, like like literally like choking up and having to like take a break from the recording process a couple wow. of times through this thing. Um, but it was a lot of kind of learning about myself and how I worked, um, and and trusting myself that I could do it because it's a bit of a slog. It's long. You've done this. You've literally done this for I, your own work. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I had to narrate the audiobook of some hack writer. It was the worst. Just, um, I, it made me hate my own writing so much. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, you know, like halfway through, like the runniest of run-on sentences, just like ready to, like, just punch myself in the face. How could you torture some person who had to narrate this? Uh, oh, yeah. It's it's. It was a lot. Um, it was a lot, but it was very rewarding in the end. Um, I didn't realize I haven't read for fun since Aww. since like, you know, before my like second master's probably. Um, <laughs> so like having having this as a way to, you know, be able to, you know, get my kicks and read for fun while also like, you know, doing a job is kind of wild that um, that that I get paid to read into a microphone. Um, I, I've discovered a few things. If folks need a visual timer for things, um, I'm the kind of person who will will get sucked into a creative process, whether it's writing music or it's you know reading an audiobook. Um, and sometimes I'll like maybe over push myself when when I'm in the zone. Um, a tea light lasts about like three to four hours, and it's a really nice visual timer. So what I would do is I would light my little tea light candle settle in in front of the microphone have my water have my manuscripts have my logic you know open every chapter has its own logic file because you have to export the chapters individually but then mm -hmm. it's nice because then you get like breaks every like you know 10 to 15 minutes or so depending on the length of the chapter like get up walk around do your thing yeah pay attention to the cat because she's meowing the entire time during the session and not letting you read. Um, it just to me that just sets the atmosphere of the story. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, and then I I read until you know my my little candle burns out, and then I'm like, yeah, it's probably time for lunch. <laughs> yeah, wow. and it's and um the the book should be coming out in May. One of them is Julieta and the Romeos. Julieta and the Romeos, um, and the other one is the Luis Ortega Survival Club. Um, both by I be I believe both are published by HarperCollins. So wherever I, fine books are sold, I love it, and I stand by the uh, request I made to you last month. If that author would like to ah, yes. come on the show, like have the two of you together, I think the audience would really benefit from a discussion of how audiobooks and how you know these kind of uh, books can come together. Young adult, I think there's a lot of aspiring authors. Uh, within our audience, a lot of aspiring voiceover artists and audiobook narrators. I think that would be a really, really cool segment. With the like two or three minutes that we have left before Ariel is coming in, Elisa, yes. can you just quickly tell us what the hell is going on with E3? Why is um, E3 canceled? Like I remember E3 being the thing, and now I see on The Verge, the headline reads, E3 isn't coming back. So not only does The Verge say E3 is gone, but like we're never going to see it again, which is just flabbergasting to me. What happened? <laughs> um, I'm it's ah. so the pandemic didn't help. Mm -hmm. um, we'll 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 say that. Um, but it was kind of on its last legs, maybe a year or two before that. Um, E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, um, was used to be um, an industry-only showcase. Um, it would be the place where if you are um, Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony, um, if you are a publisher, you would 
you know, among other things, meet up with press, but also meet up with GameStop, Walmart, do your deals, say, hey, here's our game. Um, and uh, it's coming out X. What do you think? And then that's kind of where those where those sort of like retail and marketing deals um, and also like big media pushes would happen. And that was typically an industry only show. And that would be in the summer leading up to fall would be when you would see the biggest game announcements um, that would be often like things that would come out that fall or things that would come out five sometimes seven or more years from now. Um, <laughs> and then it started losing a little bit of its, of its steam um, and publishers um, and developers realized that a lot of the stuff that they could be uh, using for marketing materials, they could bring in house up to and including, um, you know, releasing trailers on their own channels doing their own press conferences from their own studios and basically being able to control their narrative for a lower cost than getting a giant booth at the LA convention hall for a week. Um, and so like the writing was kind of on the wall there and the pandemic only exacerbated that with more and more developers being like, shoot, we need to get the message out and we can't go to all of these conventions anymore. So a lot of developers are doing a lot of direct communication now it, it was um, last year um, that uh, they had canceled, I think still maybe due, due to sort of pandemic related issues. This was the first year that now it's been like, well, we don't have enough interest wow. from developers, publishers to the point where even there were a couple of them that were like, well, we actually haven't heard from E3 at all about like what the plans are or anything. And folks are just like, eh, we don't really need it. So anymore this is just big labels like nintendo deciding you know we don't need to go through e3 to get our message out we have nintendo direct which yep. has become enough of a tent pole like when we do nintendo direct yeah everybody collectively gets excited about it it's mostly delivered online so it's yep. a lot cheaper than the you know physical structure of e3 and it accomplishes what we need to accomplish with a direct line to our fans rather than going through this event and so this is basically what the whole industry has realized. And so is is this something that you could see being a ripple effect with similar kinds of conventions? Are we going to see fewer industry conventions like across media because all these brands have realized that with the Internet, digital video conferencing type stuff that we can just reach our fans directly without these kind of events? Yes and no. Um, um, what I think will happen is I think there is kind of a push for like fan conventions to come back in a major way, but not necessarily have a big sort of developer presence there. Mm. Um, what I what I would probably see more is like um, maybe the investment in getting a booth at a show like an E3 or even at like a PAX would maybe hopefully maybe go into a development of more sort of demo uh, type software to give folks an opportunity to play games um, ahead of time without, you know, necessarily having to like get the booth space for it. There is a space for games to be shown that are not, you know, the sort of big like temple events like uh, Ubisoft is still holding a UB forward of their own. They're still holding their own direct thing. Um, but a lot of indies, um, we're also kind of priced out of E3. That was like the other big thing is with the proliferation of indie games, it kind of became just this big sort of monolithic thing that, you know, it was hard for for indies to, to break through. But now Jeff Keighley, um, uh, the guy behind the Game Awards, who's been a producer for award shows in the industry for literally decades, has kind of taken up the mantle. And now we have Summer Games Fest which I think has kind of been a lint roller for for all of the wayward, you know, devs and 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 even, you know, as it's becoming probably what it's going to be now the only game in town um for for major video game news all in one place. Um I think eventually that is going to replace E3 in more of a um in more of a digital form. Um but we'll see what the future is for kind of these like in-person things. I feel like there's definitely a push pull between folks wanting to go out and meet with the community and have that interaction again. But at the same time, there might be faster, leaner, cheaper ways to do it 
in a digital sense. I liked what you were hinting at there towards the end, which is the big brands still can have their direct because they have enough, you know, they can just go to their people directly because they're big enough that they have that kind of reach. But the idea is maybe that these smaller independent developers can do their own thing together because they would still benefit from something where everybody comes together and we can do a big show across the industry to elevate all of these independent brands. So maybe maybe there's still a place for those brands in a physical uh, event like an E3 type event for them. And this might actually help to amplify them, right? Because in the E3 world, those smaller developers were getting drowned out by the big guys, but now they might have their own thing where they can... Uh, really speak with a louder voice. Yeah, yeah, and especially with with um, you know, I think you know, summer summer games fest. I keep wanting to call it summer games mess so bad because that's like my you know internal code name for it. Um, but I'm sure they appreciate like, that. <laughs> I'm sure they love that. Um, it's it's um, I think having a sort of it's 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 been interesting because. It was once consolidated around E3, then it kind of broke apart, but I feel like now there is just such a deluge of, you know, indie developers, you know, who if you can if you can cut a trailer and you can put it up on YouTube, cool, but how are you actually going to get visibility? Now we see like, oh, wait, 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 no, 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 we actually like curation again. We need these to be curated. We need folks to like tell us what is coming out and when. Um, so I think summer summer games fest is going to be I hesitate to say a replacement, um, but I think a, a very very cool looking band aid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. That. Last thing, and like I'm talking thirty seconds or less here because we're going to get angry letters from radio. Impossible. Um, with the new the Mario Brothers movie is fast approaching. Are you? With the new trailers that have come out since we last talked about this a few months ago, are you more excited for this movie than you were the last time we spoke? Yes, because I've seen the reviews, and the reviews suggest that um, it's the Daisy and Bowser show, and Mario is just kind of there, and that's exactly how I wanted it. So we're good. <laughs> Very and, good. And, and some somebody brought up the good point where it's like if Mario is your favorite character in the Mario franchise, mm, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, if yeah. you're playing Mario Kart with somebody and they pick Mario, that's a little suspect. Highly sus. What are Highly you doing? Sus. Yeah. So so the fact <laughs> that the movie also knows that I think is bodes well. Right on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We got R.A.L. Hyatt coming up next year on Break the Business. Don't go anywhere. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. 
Our guest this week is a celebrated entertainment industry executive and the founder of Cyber PR, a New York-based artist development, social media, and content strategy firm. She is also the author of five books on PR, crowdfunding, and new media, and is currently running an AI music marketing course with music executive Eileen Crowley. You can find out more about the course and our guest's work by visiting www.cyberprmusic.com. We are happy to welcome our friend, Ariel Hyatt, on to Break the Business. Hi, Ariel. Oh, hello. What a joy to see you. Every time we have you on the show, we get smarter about the industry and we have a lot of fun while we do it. This is going to be an absolute blast for the new people because we always got new folks making their way into the Break the Business universe, and we're happy to have the new faces who might not know who you are yet. Can you tell the folks a little bit about what Cyber PR does? Yes. So for 27, count them, 27 years, which is a long time, <laughs> I have been helping independent musicians navigate the confusing and ever-changing landscape of predominantly music publicity, which is our bag. We do digital music PR campaigns for artists releasing singles or EPs or albums or all of the above. And we are also a strategy firm. So we write lots of long-term marketing plans and we help artists unblock the blocks and navigate because if there's one, you can't even call it pivoting anymore, what we all need to do in this business. It's just, we're constantly just whirling in a in a in a crazy ever-changing landscape yeah pivoting would suggest that like you get to go in one direction for a while before you turn slightly and this industry doesn't let you do that anymore you're just zigging and zagging all the yes. time and changing with the very furiously moving tides so i want you to reflect for me a bit on what it means to be doing what you have done for the last 27 years what would you say is the most biggest difference between sort of your day-to-day -day when you started 27 years ago in terms of what you do for creative professionals versus what your day-to-day -day looks like today i spend much more time client facing now than i did as a traditional publicist that's for sure because when you're a traditional publicist especially back when i started in the 90s my main tool for dispersing information, the two main tools were packages. I would literally spend hours curating what would the what would the package look like? What would the press clip? What would the paper clip look like? What would the, the whole <laughs> seriously, what color? I would spend hours at the at the jam paper company, like like buying and matching paper colors to put together for press kits. So that Which was, was a literal kit back then. Literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had a Xerox machine, you know, we were constantly making material. So that would be one massive difference. And then, you know, once we got the story, the bio, the release, our artists normally would put an album out like every one to two years. So we would be working furiously up to a release date. And so the second tool, aside from all that paper and bubble envelopes and um, CDs was the telephone. The telephone that Gen Z has no idea how to use. Um, that, was, that was the tool and it was literally all day long leaving messages and or speaking with receptionists at news desks and or if you were really lucky getting a journalist on the phone and then the the third tool um, has to get on honorable mention was the fax dongle that i had that was like a it was like an attachment that allowed you to send hundreds of faxes in, in a day so i would be faxing all the news desks at the newspapers and I was fully journalist facing. Fast forward 24 years, um, 25, 26, 27 years, the, the facing part is much more working with the artist, working on the stories, working on the angles, working on the strategy, working on the brand, working on how it 
how it all looks and comes together online, working on the social media themes. And yes, there's still some blog pitching and music journalists and playlist facing, but I haven't left a voicemail for, for that demographic of humanity in years. It's really all email, some face-to-face, -face if, if you're lucky enough to meet music bloggers out at a music panel or conference or event. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be, I think, the most profound difference. To me, it's so admirable, and it, it's a testament to one of the things that impresses me the most about the work that you do, that you have been so able to change with your industry and change with the demands of your profession. It would have been so easy for you to just say, well, this is the way I've always done it, and this is the way I'm always going to do it, or to just say, well, they don't do it the way I'm going to do it anymore. I'm going to go be a tenured faculty member somewhere. As a, you know, no hate on the music business faculty members, but that's usually how a lot of them, you know, end up there because it's hard to change with the industry, especially as it continue as the rate of change gets so much faster. But for you, you've always rolled with it. Even now, in your most recent example today, I'm getting a lot of emails from you on your uh, uh, on what I think is one of the best email lists in the music business, uh, yours where you're talking a lot about AI and chat GPT and AI platforms and the role that those play in the work that you do. It would be so easy for somebody like you to see the rise of AI and go, okay, well, that's, that's too much for me. I'm going to, you know, run away from that, but you leaned into it. You're learning about it and you are already on the forefront of teaching others how AI gets into, uh, how AI affects your industry. Can you talk a little bit about uh, just what you're seeing now, the role of AI with the work that you do? It's, first of all, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a tsunami. It, it's, it's so rapidly developing and changing and coming at us. Um, I, I wasn't first to this party. One of my super early adopter friends, I had a conversation with him in December and he said, have you tried chat GPT yet? And I was like, no. And I, I sort of remember the first, the, fir the first time someone asked me if I had tried YouTube and I was like, no. So, you know, like when you start hearing like smart people that, that, you know, say things, you know, you write down like what YouTube, I had to go, it wasn't YouTube, right? Anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's, I, I have to say, it's exciting. I feel excited for the first time. I wasn't that excited about the rise of, of DSPs and Spotify. And I just, I wasn't, I was not on the bleeding edge of that. I will say that. I sort of took a back seat. I watched all that. And I also was not on the bleeding edge of NFTs and blockchain. It, it, it's sort of so heady. And I always like to, to, to lean back and see. I'm not an enormous believer in jump into the, the, the newest, hottest thing. However. Well, that's interesting to me. What makes, what made, has made AI different for you? DSPs didn't get you excited, NFTs didn't get you excited, but AI seems to light you up. What makes AI different? First of all, AI is 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 so uh, multifaceted, right? It's not just one thing. Although we are talking about chat GPT a lot because that's the tool that sort of everybody kind of got the message that like, oh, this is what all this this large language model means. But, you know, AI has been around us. Anyone that, you know, talks to Google or Siri and asks for the weather or to set a timer and has been doing that for years, it's not that new in our consciousness. But this has been when I got on there and realized, I mean, I have a job because I have a good talent at breaking down what feels really confusing for artists and creative minds. And then the second reason I have a job is I have a team that's really good at efficiently helping artists with stuff they hate. And very high on the list of stuff they hate is writing social media posts. So that was my 
gateway drug into experimenting with ChatGPT and Jasper and going, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> here's an entire tool that when fed correctly, we started testing it with the cyber PR team. I have a whole team of people that all we do is write content calendars. And this is a job that we get paid a lot of money to do to provide months worth of content for artists. And, you know, something that used to take my team 20 or 30 hours now can be done in two hours or three hours. It's, it's phenomenal. Now, so for- when I saw that, <laughs> when yeah. I, when I asked it, Hey, can I feed you this music review? And can you write me 10 tweets with emojis and hashtags that, you know, are the highlights of this music review and it 10 perfect tweets, or maybe not so perfect, but like change one or two words came barreling back to me in less than a minute. I went, Oh, wow. This is exciting. It is exciting. And I've heard similar kind of stories for artists and the way that you describe it, you know, I I can certainly see the potential for something like this for creators, but in your line of work, when you're saying that this thing can do something that would have taken your team a long time to do it. It can do it in less than a second. Are you not threatened by that? Does that mean something for your profession, for your industry and and what it looks like as you know it? Yeah, I think for dim-witted people and slightly (laughs) um, less talented artists, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. I think if, I think if you're like, if you're living in a, in a, in a space of mediocrity, this is going to be, and I say that's sort of in jest. I mean, no. Am I mad that like my entire team doesn't have to waste their time researching hashtags? No, this is a gift. <laughs> this is a gift. And then there is also this, this other sort of really painful area we live in where we help artists with their welcome series and their drip email campaigns. And like getting an artist to write a welcome series is harder than getting my toddler to go to bed at 7 30 p.m like it just doesn't happen like so you know to have a tool where you can feed it something and it will return it's not going to return the perfect thing of course there's still like a huge amount of of touch that needs to go into it but the fact that it will return something that's properly formatted in the right size and multiple paragraphs when you've got writer's block or you really don't understand the structure of what a welcome email series looks like and all of that is super exciting because with all that time saved you can now lean on my team to have brainstorming sessions with you about creating cool other merch items or figuring out what we're going to do on on plus in our in our rollout plan so we're not wasting the few hours that you could afford us with content creation so i i love that this like allows for high level thinking and it it lets the machines take care of a lot of the drudgery although i do want to iterate really strongly you still need to touch what it delivers or else Aileen and I have 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 termed we have a term that we've been saying over and over in our AI music marketing course, which is garbage in, garbage out. And so, and this is the the problem. This is like what's about to come towards us, which I'm sure you're already talking about because uh, you're talking about AI. Is like there's going to be a, just an enormous amount of crap and garbage that's going to hit the net because now it's so easy for anyone to just create. I've already seen it with content platforms where I will, you know, I, I go on like a sports website to check on the score of a of a basketball game that I maybe care about, but the country at large doesn't. So they're not going to staff a sports writer to write a summary of that game, but they will have a AI platform write it. And you can tell an AI platform wrote it and it's annoying and you know, the fact that they are not being honest about that and they're trying to make you think it was written by a human is insulting. And so, you know, if it if you if you don't add that touch at the end, if you don't make sure that it has enough humanity and a human touch in it, like you're going to really put off your audience. And so I think finding that right balance is important. And you spoke of garbage in, garbage out. And I think 
the way I interpret what you're saying there is a big part of that is often the quality of product that you get from a chat GPT is going to be a function of the quality of the prompt that you give it. The better the prompt, the better the result that chat GPT gives you, which is why you know, I saw that you know, you've been sending out uh, articles on your website where you talk about 100 effective chat GPT prompts that musicians can use. Can you tell us about a couple of your favorite chat GPT prompts for musicians? The kind of musicians I love working with are the ones that have a, a little bit of flair in some form or fashion, like they're doing something fun or funky or witty or clever or sarcastic or rude, whatever, whatever their, their tone is. The hardest type of content to kind of return is like good, informative, yet really well constructively written content. Content where you're like, please um, write me a sonnet about parking my van in a major metropolitan area outside a music venue during during rush hour. You know, if you have that kind of brand that could take a return like that from ChatGPT that you could then post and amuse your <laughs> your fans with, um, you can have a lot of fun with getting creative and 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 doing funny stuff or witty stuff or uh, although the new chat gpt is much more historically accurate than the last iteration you know there could be fun things to post having to do with like historical facts or this day in music or whatever so fact checking is also incredibly important with returns <laughs> we oh learned. yeah we have learned but um so i do like I do like that kind of prompting where it's like, write me a haiku and I'm going to just post haikus about my my new release for the next month. I mean, you can do fun things like that, which, you know, unless you're talented in another very specific way, writing haikus is not everyone's uh, easy place. Um, but it could be really fun to ask chat GPT to do kind of weird, quirky, fun like get make me a cocktail recipe based on you know the all the different the 10 tracks on my album make me 10 different cocktails that I can make a cocktail download to share with my I like that. Right so you can do these fun I mean literally when I rolled out um the ultimate guide to music publicity I hired a bartender because it was a virtual event and I, I wanted like the publicist, she made a, a cocktail for me called the publicist and I sent it out and I said, you know, let's pretend we're all at a club and there's a specialty cocktail and here's the mocktail and the cocktail formula. And I paid her a couple hundred dollars with chat GPT. Um, it could have saved that. Well, it was nice to pay a non-working bartender during COVID. However, you can do these kind of fun things and, um, you can have some some sort of creative fun and license if that's your brand and and that, that's what i'm loving when you can kind of get get fun with it yeah i've spoken with my students about chat gpt because it is something I, I use a lot in the law classes that i teach it's it's a lot better for example at creating uh you know practice quiz questions that i can go over with my students in class the same kind of questions that would take me, a, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes to put together. This thing can put them together quickly. And I have to adjust some things because sometimes it gets the law wrong. It, Chat GPT is at best like a C-plus law student at this point. But it's, you know, but yeah, uh, the version 3.5 was like a D-plus law student. So it's getting right, better. I, mean, I did read it past the bar. So that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, well, the... I, I, yeah, I think the most recent one did, and it got like a pretty good LSAT score too. So it's, it's coming yeah, for it's us smarter. for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the, the point, like what, what I try to impart to my students about chat GPT is I think what it's going to mean for the future. And, and it's kind of similar to what we talked about when Google came out too, and became very common and ubiquitous is the jobs of the future are not going to more than ever are not going to reward people who know all the answers because AI knows all the answers. Google knows are the answers. The yes. real value is going to be the people who can ask the right questions. And, and I think, you know, going forward, I think colleges and schools are going to be training all of us on how to write effective prompts 
that get the information that we want to get out of these platforms and have it generate the best content for us so that we have to do as little touch on the back end as possible to make really excellent content or computer programs or images or whatever we have the AI help us do. And it's it's going to it's going to really revolutionize education and it's going to revolutionize the day-to-day life of artists. So you've talked a lot about what artists can do to be effective with these AI platforms. What are let's look at the other side of it. What are some mistakes that you might see potentially artists make when trying to use these platforms and use them effectively? Well, I'll preface this by saying, you know, everything that I'm doing is through the lens of marketing and publicity. So that's sort of how I'm using ChatGPT and and a lot of these other AI tools that we're discovering at a breakneck speed. But it's the same mistake that I see in the terrestrial world, um, which is garbage in, garbage out, lazy lazy social media you know you we've all seen it you go to someone's feed and like they're it's boring and their text isn't interesting and they're not really saying anything and you don't you can't really understand like who they are or what they're about or it's just not it's not compelling so that is definitely something that it, it is to be it's a concern like again like we are going to get flooded with a lot of absolutely terrible material. (laughs) Um, So that's a huge mistake, like to just believe that you can write the prompt of like, hey, write me 10 Facebook posts about my new album coming out and here's the date and here's the name of it. Like that is not gonna get you any kind of interesting creative post. It will get you a post, um, but it's not gonna get you one that anyone's gonna care about. So I think that's, that's definitely a mistake that that I've seen even in my class. My students are so excited about the amount of things that they can create, but be less excited about the amount and more excited about the quality of the output, um, like we've been saying. And I, I talked to an, an artist manager today who just signed to work with us and she said, I tried to have ChatGPT write the bio for my artists and it was terrible. And I mean, I've been studying how do we get chat GPT to understand us, to model us, to kind of speak in our tone so that when we go to use it, it's 10 times more powerful when the output comes. And, you know, I already have a great solution for her, which is hire my amazing bio writer, who's a music journalist. But the secondary solution, (laughs) if we didn't have any money for that, would be um, let chat GPT interview you actually ask it to have a two-way conversation with you in the style of and pick a music rock journalist in the style of pitchfork magazine in the style of rolling stone in the style of and have get it to keep asking questions based on there must be tens of thousands of of rock and roll and music history interviews it's ingested and see where that leads you then use that interview feed that to chat GPT and have it spit your artist bio out. But just saying like, Hey, wow. artist bio is not going to work. Wow. That is so cool. So, I mean, cause, cause I know when, when you say to people, Oh, you have to train chat GPT to know how to like, you know, write a bio in your voice. Every artist goes, Oh, that sounds like a lot of work, but the way that you set it up, no, no, no. You tell chat GPT to interview you to get the information it needs in the same way that you would have a ghostwriter interview you to learn about how to write in your voice and what artist doesn't like to be interviewed. So that's really, really cool. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think most artists would, would enjoy that experience. Yeah. And hence my excitement, you know, and so you could have it, you know, ask me about how I learned to play guitar and why do I hold my guitar this way? And why, why do I use this certain kind of pick or this certain kind of pedal? And you can, go really deep with that. And then lo and behold, some of those answers can become really interesting social posts. When you make short videos of you playing guitar, you've got all this backstory about how you hold it or how you why, why your style is different or who influenced you deeply or any of those things. Now, now we're on to like some deep, interesting 
stuff that our fans can sink our teeth into. Where, as before, to write that kind of post, it takes would have taken a lot of thought. Now you can just sort of you can you can really save time. That's really incredible. You're filling my head with a ton of ideas. That like the moment this interview is over, I want to start. Uh, you know, looking into this stuff and figuring out how we can, you know, take what we do around here to the next level with the help of AI, which I imagine is very much the point of why you're doing what you're doing right now. I can only imagine that the viewers and listeners want to learn more and they clearly acknowledge that you're on the right track with a lot of this stuff. For the for the folks out there who want to learn more about the, the course that you're doing right now, the uh, AI Music Marketing Course, can you tell us a little bit more about it and where we can find it? I'm so excited to tell you about it. Um, yes, you can find it at cyberprmusic.com. We are right in the middle of it. So we just had our third week. All the the three classes that have already taken place live are up for immediate replay. And then we've got some Q&A sessions. And it's a five-parter. So the first week was what the heck is AI? Why should you care? And a brief history. The second week, we dove into learning how to begin to prompt and social media, best practices on social media channels, because without understanding that it was hard to get into social media content. And then we took our course takers through three major sort of things that we do models that we use here at cyber PR. One is creating your brand pillars. Two is creating your fan personas. Who are you talking to? And three is creating your actual social media themes. So week two is all about setting your own foundation and then using it on social media. Aileen just took us on a whirlwind last night for week three, and she did um, video and visuals and took us through how to prompt uh, mid-journey, and Dolly 2 and a couple of other tools to begin to get artwork that you can use for tons of different purposes. This coming week, we are getting into email marketing. How can we get ChatGPT to speak the way we speak, write the way we write, adopt our tones? Because if it doesn't sound like us, writing just emails is a terrible idea. So that's this week. And then the final week is going to be about putting it all together because an overwhelming amount of tools and information is interesting, but an action plan is exactly what we're after here. We want our artists and managers in the course to walk away going, this didn't work for me, this worked for me. Here's exactly my blueprint for putting together all these tools so that I can do whatever it is I need to do in a quarter or a millionth of the time. And so we want everyone to walk away with a bit of an individualized experience. So that's what we're going to do in week five. So that's the course. Aileen is a genius um, and, and brings a whole major label perspective. She worked at Universal Music Group and she co-founded um, Digson, which was a digital singles record label with one of one of my best friends in the music industry, Jay Frank. And she was his right hand through the entire building of Digson. And then it got sold to Universal. And then very sadly, Jay Frank passed away a couple of years ago, way too young. Um, and so Aileen and I are, are having a lot of fun. Jay was a genius and was at the cutting, bleeding edge of Spotify and and how playlisting works. And um, so in a way we're honoring his early adoption in this in this new music world. So that's the course. You can find it at Cyber PR Music. It is a beta. We are definitely building this ship as we're going and you know every day there's there's more news to share on our on our private chat rooms that we have going, but it's really fun to watch everyone learning as we're going. I'm really amped for this. This is very, very cool, Ariel. Again, you can check out the course at cyberprmusic.com. Ariel, before we let you go, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes, I do. Pick one thing. I think in this world of 
all the things you have to do. There's so many things. For those of you who are sort of cringing at this AI conversation, just pick one thing that's been on your nagging list for however long and make some real moves to cross it off and just try to focus on one thing instead of whirling around and making yourself crazy doing everything sort of half-assed. Choose one thing, see if you can figure out how to use chat GPT to help you get that thing done. One thing I do love about it, you can ask it, hey, can you help me figure out how to write a marketing plan? Or can you help me make a month's worth of social media posts and tell me exactly what I should be posting on what day? Like it will powerfully tell you how to do stuff. So that's my advice. Pick one thing, go deep. And if you can, if you're not allergic to it, use chat GPT to try to help you come up with a game plan. I love this. I'm I'm very enthused by this. And surely our viewers and listeners can find better uses for it than even we do around here, which is just having it give a music industry tip of the weeks while shoehorning in quotes from the movie Clue. And uh but, you know, and and here I was thinking that was the best thing it could do, but you've definitely illuminated us to the even more amazing things that this technology is capable of. Well, I actually love what you've done with it. You know, and this is the thing that's funny. It like this is why it's creative because you don't think like me and I don't think like you and you've come up with something fun. And that's the, the look, there is of course a very big dark side to this, which we have not alluded to or talked about. And that's not for this episode, but there are some really fun uses and I love, I love what you've done. Well, I'm just deeply scared that one day when the AI robots rise up and take over, like, one of them is going to be like, all right, who is the person that was making me give tips while reciting Moulin Rouge quotes? And then like, I'm going to be like taken in for, for some like horrific punishment that I'll definitely deserve. Um, Ariel, this has been a treat as it always is. Now, I always tell folks like, don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. In your case, like, just come on every week. We, we okay. just, we just love to hear from you every time that we do. We learn a lot. We have a lot of fun. It's really been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you. Ariel Hyatt, everybody. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting cyberprmusic.com. All right, Elisa Rockdoc, give us your final thoughts on everything that she said there. Are you ex more excited about AI now, or are you just more inclined to hide under a blanket? Um, garbage in, garbage out. And knowing the majority of the internet and everything that we've experienced over the last five to 10 years with the rise of misinformation, I'm still very, very skeptical about ChatGPT actually spitting things out that are useful um, and not, you know, highly <laughs> biased and racist and sexist and highly damaging. However, um, I am heartened by by the care with which I think a lot more prominent folks in tech are looking at this and maybe kind of pumping the brakes a little bit um, and actually doing the thing that a lot of us sociologists uh, like to recommend, which is uh, think about the whys and the hows um, and the implications of what you're using before uh, going towards the shiny new tech. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. And in addition to doing that, your other homework is to watch the movie Clue Yes. If you have not seen it already, it is a special film that you'll be quoting uh, forever and ever. Our thanks to Ariel Hyatt. Thanks to you, Elisa Rock, Doc, and producer Lauren. Thanks to all of our viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We've loved having you here. See you next week.